0: welcome to this stage, Dr. Mark Rutland, a uh, great friend of Gen U. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. And good morning, everyone. I'm going to try to juggle some stuff here. There we go. Well, it's great to be back. I always love to be here, and I am with your pastor. I'm amazed. We were talking before the service, and I said Labor Day Sunday, and with the base, it's a four-day weekend. You may be at half strength, and you're all here. I'm amazed. Give yourselves a big hand. You deserve it. Twenty-nine baptisms last week. I think you would be horrified to know how many churches don't baptize 29 in a year, in five years. And you did 29 in a Sunday. God is so good in this place. Isn't he wonderful? Praise God. Well, I, I want to begin with a couple of announcements. First of all, several people asked me if I was taking a tour to Israel in 2023. Oh, that's perfect. Thank you. Uh, I'm not going to take a tour to Israel in 2023 that's open But uh, our son, Travis, who is the president of Global Servants now that I've stood down, and he also pastors a church in Georgia, he will be leading a tour in the spring of 2023. If you would like to receive the email on that, those of you that have been in the past, you probably will automatically receive. But if you would like to receive, if you'll tell Pastor or Kim to put you on the list then then we will certainly make sure and I hope that a good group a good group from this church I think you've gone like five times So I hope that a good group of you will go. There's nothing in the world like Israel. It's a it's a life-changing tour I've been 48 times And uh, our son has been like eight times. So he'll do a great great tour and I know you'll want to be with him I, I have brought some books pastor asked me to these are four titles that we have this is the newest book of Kings and Prophets. It's it's just out. It's doing very well. I'm very pleased with the sales on this book. It's very timely. It's a book about the conflict between supernatural authority and secular power. But I use the laboratory of the conflict between the Old Testament prophets and the kings, mostly the kings of Israel, uh, some Judah, but mostly Israel. And uh, and I think you will you'll enjoy that book. Well, my table is rocking. Um, this is this is courage to be healed. Uh, this is a story. This is a book about inner healing, the healing of damaged emotions. I certainly we believe in physical healing. We're Pentecostals, but it is my observation that some of the more difficult healings are actually inner healing, healing of wounded emotions, and the variable. In that kind of healing is usually not faith; it's courage, the courage to face what's wrong and the courage to go through what it takes to get over the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Um, then this book is an older book, but uh, its character matters. This is a chapter-by-chapter teaching on classical biblical virtues, the nine essential virtues that make for a life of holiness. I hope you'll enjoy that. This is the biggest seller we've had in recent years. This is David the Great. This is the life and leadership of King David. It's, it's been a huge still selling, about the same that is sold the first week it came out. So we're really thrilled with this book. Uh, the response has been tremendous. One reason this book did so well is because we tapped into a reading market all Christian publishers will tell you it's hard to get men to read Christian books. Uh, most Christian books are written by women for women. But regardless of what some of you women think, some men can read. Um, <laughs> we started to put pictures in this one. We thought that would help. <laughs> but this has been huge. Women buy it. Women read it. They love it. Uh, of course, Dive is a, is a complex Genius from the Bronze Age who still speaks to us today and uh, and you'll love this book but but men particularly read it We've, we're just thrilled with the response to this book. I hope you'll get it. what I've told the, it, they're all available at the hub and um, what I've said is some these books were different prices, so I'm not going to do that this morning. I've been at this church so many times now. I feel like whether you want it or not, I feel like I'm part of the church and so what we're going to do is make all these books the same price. I'll put them, the new ones as well as the old ones will all be $10. So that'll be a half price. And so I hope you'll enjoy them. You can get all four, therefore, for $40. I hope you will do and that you'll enjoy them. It probably doesn't matter to you to hear this. It matters to me to say it. I am on a salary as the executive director of the National Institute of Christian Leadership. And everything that I bring in in ministry, love offerings like this, uh, honoraria, All book sales, tuition and events, everything, everything. There's no smoke and mirrors. It all goes to uh, support our girls' homes in Southeast Asia and West Africa. So I hope you'll go out there to the book table and spend yourself into bankruptcy. (laughs) Forget about Dave Ramsey. (laughs) Refinance your house. Thank you, Pastor. Steal the children's lunch money. Come on. One other announcement, and this is personal. I love to be here. I would normally, and I have in the past, I think I've probably been here 15 times or so over the last years, but I would normally stay after and meet and greet and sign books and everything. I can't do that today, so... During the closing prayer, I'm going to actually slip out that door and be gone. I have to be north of Auburn, Alabama this afternoon for a a thing at a military school. And the military waits on no one for anything. So if you'll uh, excuse me as I slip out, I apologize in advance. It does give me the liberty to say anything I want and then flee. So... (laughs) If you have your Bibles, if you'll take those and turn, if you will, to the book of Genesis, I want to speak this. I want to speak this morning on dreams. If you'll turn to Genesis chapter 37, I'm going to begin reading at verse 5, and then later I'll skip, and when I do, I'll tell you so that you can follow me. Genesis 37 and verse 5. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren. And they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Hear, I pray you, this dream which I've dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. Let me pause a moment because in the King James Version, there's an old timey word there. It's still a legitimate word in the English language, it's just that modern Americans don't use it. It means to bow, but if one says bow, it implies nothing emotional. It's just a simple action verb. But to make obeisance means to bow reverentially as in the presence of a high official. And your sheaves, the sheaves of wheat, bowed reverentially as if I were some kind of high official. Verse 8. And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it to his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren and his father rebuked him and said unto him, what is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? Pause again. Let me point this out to you. Joseph does not interpret his dream. He, rec- he reports it. The sun and the moon and the 11 stars. His father is the one who interprets the dream. The sun meaning his father, the moon meaning his mother, the 11 stars meaning his brother's. So just make a note of this in passing. The enemy of your soul and the enemies of your dreams may understand their implications better than you do. Verse 10 And he told it to his brethren, to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said, What is this that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him. That must mean they envied him for the dream. They envied him, but his father observed the saying. Verse 18. And when they saw Joseph afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, some evil beast hath devoured him. And we shall see what will become of his dreams. Put your hands on your Bible, if you will, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, with our hands on the word and our hearts and minds, as open as we know how to get them, we're asking you to do all the rest. Speak to us, O Lord, and open our ears that we may hear. In Jesus' mighty name, the strong Son of God. Amen. Amen and amen. Nearly 50 years ago, a young Baptist preacher stood on the steps of an American landmark and preached a sermon that was to be transformative in American life, culture, and law. All he said was, I have a dream. And Dr. King's message on dream was really responsible for much of the changes in laws and even the culture and climate in this room would not be the same were it not for that sermon. There is something about dreams that draws to it power and interest and energy. People want to be involved with dreams. They want to endorse dreams. They want to give to dreams. They, They want to hear what the dream is and they want to invest. But you have to understand this. Dreams also draw opposition. They draw envy and strife and murderous, murderous conspiracies. Dr. Dream's, Dr. King's dream also got him killed. He was shot off the balcony of a hotel in Memphis, Tennessee. And I remember that moment to this day. And what got him killed was a dream of a different kind of America. The, the dream that you dream may be directly from God to you and to your life and it may have transformative power in the lives of others, but it doesn't mean everybody's gonna like it. Joseph's brothers envied him and his father rebuked him. What one would think is that of all things, your family would affirm your dream. What one would think is that there would certainly be the people around you that would be excited about God's dream in your life. You don't wanna count on that. You need to share your dream. You want to speak it. You want to share it with others. It draws energy. It draws interest. But you have to be careful with whom you share your dream. When I was uh, 28 years old, right at the uh, end of the Civil War, I remember, (laughs) it's rude to laugh at me. I, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit when I was 28. I was a Methodist minister already. Um, and uh, my wife and I received the Holy Spirit in 1975. I was 28. And what happened was that immediately God opened, I mean overnight, God opened in my life a fresh new concept of ministry that I had never thought of or never dreamed of. When I went into the ministry at 21, I, I didn't know any kind of ministry except to be a Methodist pastor. To me, I'd grown up in the Methodist church. To me, to be in the ministry meant pastor a Methodist church because I didn't know anything. I didn't know there were any other denominations. I didn't know any of you were out here. And so I, I was a Methodist pastor. When I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I almost overnight received a fresh vision for ministry. I could see it. I could describe it. But I didn't have the vocabulary to name it. I simply didn't know it existed. I saw myself traveling the world, preaching in tiny villages, going into the deep forest in the jungle, preaching at big churches, at little tiny churches. I saw myself doing ministry worldwide, predominantly in the third world. Now I know that's a missionary evangelist, but I didn't even have the word for it. So my wife and I would talk about it, but I would never told anyone else. I got invited by the Methodist bishop to be a part of a committee methodist preachers to meet on some subject now long forgotten and i went to this committee meeting i was by far the youngest person in the room i was 28 as i told you and these guys all these other ministers were real old men they were way up in their 40s and when you're 28 a guy who's 48 looks like he's ready for the nursing home and i sat there i didn't say anything i was intimidated by their age and experience When the meeting was over, the man chairing the committee, for some reason, he said, our work is finished here, but we're finished early. Does anybody have anything you'd like to share? And I thought it was the propitious moment. So I put my hot little hand in the air and said, I do. And I shared my dream. And I found that's the reason Jesus said, do not pour your pearls out before swine. Because that room full of pigs turned on me. They began to trample my dream and then they began to rend me. They climbed me. That's the stupidest thing we've ever heard of. They said, you're going to ruin your career. You've got a PhD. You're a rising star in the Methodist church. You're going to flush the whole thing down the tubes. You'll walk off into Africa. Nobody will ever hear from you again. This is the end of your ministry. Nobody wants that kind of old-timey missionary evangelism anymore. That went out with Dwight L. Moody. They climbed my clock. I staggered out of that meeting. I was 28. I wasn't so arrogant to think that I knew everything. These were old dudes. They're supposed to know stuff. What if they were right? I said to myself. What if I'm about to make the worst decision that I could make? Maybe I'm right on the edge of a disaster. And they're warning me. I went out to the parking lot to my car and I put my forearm up on the roof of the car and laid my head over on it. And there was an audible voice behind me. I thought it was God. It nearly scared the liver out of me. He said, forget them. And I spun around and there was a man standing there. The only pastor in the room who hadn't said anything. And he said, forget them, son. Forget this day. Forget all this. Whatsoever the Lord saith unto thee, do it. I said, what's wrong with those guys? He said, they've all lost their dreams and they hate you for reminding them of it. He said, you remember that big guy in there that hammered you the hardest? I said, yes. He said, I've known him. We went to elementary school together. And he said, I remember the night at Camp Glisten Methodist Youth Camp when he stood up and testified that God had called him to do missionary evangelism and he never did it. He played it safe. Now he's at the end of his ministry, and he despises you for reminding him. He said, now forget him. Forget me. Forget this day and get on with it. I tried to do everything that man told me by God's grace to pursue that dream and follow it, to do everything he told me except one thing. He said, forget me, and I never forgot him. Because in that moment, what I needed was not a dream murderer. I needed a dream encourager. There are those people that are self-appointed dream murderers. They may hate you. They may hate your dream. They may despise what God is doing in your life. And you have to be very, very careful about sharing your dream with those people. Because it says, Joseph's brothers envied him. No one envies someone for something that they have if they have it themselves. They envy someone who has something they don't have. So people without a dream, who have no hope of a dream, who have lost their dream, who have forgotten their dream, they may very well hate you and envy you for the dream that God gives you. Share your dream. Speak it out. But you have to be a little careful where. That's one of the reasons I like Generations United Church, this is a dream factory. Your pastor is always thinking up something that you all have to do or fix. (laughs) But yes, that's visionary leadership. That's receiving the dream from God. And that's the atmosphere in which you also are allowed to dream. That your dreams are to be encouraged. I always wanted to be a dream encourager. I was the president of two different universities over a space of about 16 years. And I was constantly surrounded by young adults. And I love the little brats. Uh, but <laughs> no, I mean, our beloved students. And, and they're, they're pumping out dreams daily. And I tried to encourage that. I wanted to be that dream encourager. But sometimes... It was a little difficult. Some kid come up to me on the quadrangle at the university and say, President Rutland, you're always talking about dreams. Let me tell you my dream. I want to tell you. I'd say, come on, man. What is your dream? He said, I want to play professional basketball. I want to be in the NBA. And I wanted to say, look, son, you're 5'4", and you're white, We got a killer debate team. Have you thought about that? What about the drama club? But that's not my job. Let life kick his dream in the mouth. My job, my job is to encourage him. So I would say, man, that's great. That's exciting. Go for it and learn to jump. (laughs) Because you're going to need some real altitude. Why would I do that? Why do I, it's not my job to give him a dose of reality. Life, let life sort all that out. What I want to do anyway, I don't know who he is. What if he turns out to be the first five, four white kid to play in the NBA? When he writes his autobiography, I want it dedicated to me. <laughs> let me tell you the greatest dream encourager of my life. I, uh, I was raised in a very odd family. I see a lot of young people here. I prophesy to you that when you're my age, you'll realize how odd your family was. But my family was a family of nomads. We moved all the time. I went to four different schools in the first grade. I went to 25 schools before I graduated from high school. We just moved. Um, People blame it on the military. The earliest part of my childhood was an army brat. When my dad got out of the army, we speeded up. Um people used to say, What does your dad do for a living? I said move. <laughs> I would literally, literally be in class and somebody would come to the door of the classroom and say, with a note, say, Mark Rutland, report to the principal's office. The boy next to me would say, Ooh, you're in trouble. I said, No, we're moving. <laughs> it did have an upside. I never wrote a term paper. <laughs> soon as the teacher said this will be due at the end of the semester, I said, I'm out of (laughs) here. When I was in the fifth grade, we moved to a very rough little school in this very state in a small town, first grade through 12th grade in the same three-story building. It was a rough community, very filled with some tough kids, tough parents. Uh, the big kids picked on the little kids. I, I, was, I was very small for my age. I know as you look now at this massive and chiseled frame that you, you all are so rude. Um, I know that you can't imagine that I was small for my age. I was also culturally out of place and very intimidated. The bright spot was my fifth grade teacher. Not a particularly educated woman. She taught me a mispronunciation for Mesopotamia that was to haunt me later on in life. When I was at the University of Maryland and in an open classroom, I referred to the Fertile Crescent as Mesopotamia. <laughs> it was an awkward moment, but one for which I have forgiven her in the light of her greater good. Mrs. Barquette was a little fat lady who just loved fifth graders. She loved us and she believed in us. She had one educational strategy that I wish every teacher in America would adopt. Every first Monday, the first Monday of every month, she'd lean over the desk and twinkle her blue eyes mischievously and rub her little chubby fingers together and say, well, it's dream day. Yay, we love dream day. We'd pull our desks into a semicircle and she would process our dreams with us one at a time as long as it took. If it took all day, she would talk with us about our dreams. There were only two rules. One was you had to have a dream. You could change every month. A lot of kids did. And the other was you couldn't laugh at anybody else's dream. If you did, next month at dream day, you had to stand in the hall and nobody wanted to miss dream day. She would talk about it with us. So she turned to Dalton Tull. He was a very dangerous Hulk. He was 37 in the fifth grade. we were all scared of him. She said, Dalton, what's your dream? Oh, he said, I want to be an astronaut. (laughs) I remember thinking, if Dalton Tull goes into space, it'll be with the chimpanzees. But Mrs. Burkett acted like it was the most rational thing she'd ever heard. She said, oh. Won't it be exciting for me? I'm sitting on my couch watching TV and they'll say, Colonel Dalton Tull, United States Air Force and NASA about to climb into the nose cone of his spaceship. Wait a minute. He wants to make an announcement. He raised your visor and you'll say, I I dedicate this flight to Mrs. Burkett and all the students in 5A. And I remember thinking this imbecile's going to do this. I don't know if she was a Christian. We weren't. My family wasn't. I didn't know anything about speaking things into existence or the word of faith. What I know is she made us look different to each other. She turned a little Maisie Blanchard, little dishwater blonde in the front row from a family so poor. Every day of the fifth grade, she wore the same faded print dress to school every day. Just wash it out and wear it the next day. The only shoes I ever saw her wear were her big brother's cast-off tennis shoes. She said, Maisie, what's your dream? Maisie said, I want to be a movie star. Oh, Miss Burkett said, won't that be wonderful for me? I'll sit in the movie theater with my Coke and my popcorn. The lion will roar. The credits will say, starring Maisie Blanchard. She said, I'll turn to the people in the theater and say, you may not know this. I taught Maisie Blanchard in the fifth grade. I'm telling you. That girl looked different to me. I remember thinking, she's going to be rich and famous. I'm going to be nice to her. (laughs) Then she said, here's the new boy. Let's ask him. Well, I knew who that was. I was 16 before I knew my name. I thought my name was new boy. (laughs) She said, Mark, what's your dream? As far as I know, nobody had ever asked me that. As far as I know, I'd never thought of it myself. So I was shocked, more shocked than anybody in the room when an answer erupted out of me without a moment's hesitation. I said, I want to write books. I don't know why. To this day, I don't know why I said that. Maybe books had been a comfort to a weird little fifth grader who always felt out of place. Maybe I thought I could comfort some other fifth grader. I don't know what it was. But as soon as I said it, Compared to astronaut and FBI agent, it seemed so prissy. I just glared at the other boys in the room. and said, just, just smile, dream this. But Mrs. Burkett took that dream up in her hands and she breathed the breath of life on it. She said, oh, Mark, that's going to happen. She said, someday I'll go into a bookstore and I'll buy a book. By Mark Rutland. When I take it to the lady at the cash register, I'm going to say, I taught this boy in the fifth grade. I don't know what happened to anybody else in the room. I I, I don't know if Dalton ever went into space even after he got out of prison. I don't know. <laughs> what I know is something happened in me. When she said that, I felt all the tumblers line up. The, the safe door sprang open. Something clicked inside my little fifth grade chest. And it was as though that had already happened. Last year, my 19th book was published. Hundreds of thousands of copies sold. Hundreds of thousands copies sold of 19 books worldwide. And I don't believe I ever would have written the first word of the first book if it hadn't been for a little fat lady that couldn't pronounce Mesopotamia. <laughs> I, I want to be that dream encourager. I counsel you to be that dream encourager. Don't rain on your children's dream parade. Your grandkids, they think, oh, that'll never happen. They'll never do that. You don't know that in the first place. In the second place, that if that dream is from God... If that dream is from God, then your envy and your quote-unquote reality medicine for them may actually be in opposition to the will and purpose of God for their lives. You don't want to be in that category. The second thing is this. The shortest distance between any two points with God is not necessarily a straight line. God doesn't move the way we do. He doesn't think the way we do. You'll never convince me in a million years that the night that Joseph received that dream in his father's tent, that he said, I know exactly how this is going to happen. My brothers will envy me and hate me. They'll throw me into a pit, drag me out of the pit, sell me into slavery. Some Ishmaelites will take me to Egypt and resell me like a used car. I'll be bought by an Egyptian aristocrat raised up to be the head of his household until his wife falsely accuses me of rape. I'll spend years in prison until I'm taken out of prison to interpret a dream for the For the Pharaoh who will make me the second in command in all of Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world at that time, I will be the second most powerful man in the world only behind Pharaoh. There will be a famine in Israel and my father and my brethren will come to Egypt and thinking I'm an Egyptian prince and not recognizing me, they will make obeisance before me and the dream will be fulfilled. He never thought one bit of that. He never thought one bit of that. From the moment that you receive the dream until it's brought to pass, you may feel like it's getting further and further away. You may feel that instead of moving to the place where that dream is going to be fulfilled, you've fallen into a pit somewhere. You may you may feel that this is, this is not happening. Wait, I say, wait on the Lord. I've got a word for somebody here this morning. I don't know who, but listen to this. A dream deferred is not a dream denied. The fact that it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it isn't going to happen. The fact that it feels lost to you, let God resurrect that dream and bring it back into your mind and your spirit. Secondly, I have a word for some parents here. You you may feel that your child is getting further and further away from their dream but you don't know what's happening. Our son, Travis, I love him. He is a great preacher, one of the fine young preachers in America, great president of Global Servants. He's doing a great job. I love him. When he was 15, if I could have killed him and gotten away with it, it was just hanging by a thread, whether he saw 16. Oh, he he was hell on wheels, just rebellious and Drugs and dope and everything else in the world. And I thought that dream of any dream I ever had for his life is getting further and further away. He was more likely to be Dalton Tull's cellmate. And now I see him where he is. And my temptation is to say, I never doubted this. (laughs) But that would be like a lie and all. I really doubted whether God could do anything good with his life. Don't give up on other people's dreams and don't give up on your own. The third thing is this. When the dream comes to pass, it may not look like what it looked like to you when you received it. Remember, the sheaves of wheat never actually bowed to Joseph. The sun and the moon and the 11 stars never made obeisance to Joseph. Those dreams didn't come true what they represented came true. But you can be so fixated on how the dream appealed to you, appeared to you, that when it doesn't happen exactly like that, you think it isn't happening. Another of our family moves, when I was in the second grade, we moved for just a few weeks. We moved to a a school just south of Dallas, Texas in Arlington, Texas. And Who here that you moved around a little bit when you were a kid? You went to different schools. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, a good number. Then, you know, when you come to that school, you just have to fit in with what they're doing. And then you change to another school, another school, and you're constantly just playing catch up and trying to fit in. Nobody explains anything to you. You're just a kid, and you're trying to figure out what's going on. Well, when we got to the Southside Elementary School in Arlington, Texas, the second grade was preparing to make a presentation to the PTA. And so every morning we'd go into the auditorium the whole second grade, and we were, they were learning these patriotic songs, uh, America the Beautiful and all the songs like that. And I was trying to catch up. So we're fitting there and singing these songs. One of the songs, the lyric of it, just appealed to my little creative heart. It was so beautiful. It talked about Purple Mountain Majesty. I thought, what what a mountain must look like to be named Purple Mountain Majesty. I thought I would just love to see Purple Mountain Majesty. See, kids, kids don't hear what you hear in songs. Nobody explains the lyrics. Kids hear differently. I remember when I was a kid in the Methodist church, we used to sing this hymn called Gladly the Cross-Eyed Bear. And I always wondered why were we singing about Gladly? And why was he cross-eyed? I I I could always just imagine, you know, this cartoon, I'm Gladly the Cross-Eyed Bear. You know Or how about at Christmas? Did anybody else see this at Christmas? What about the fat man, Round John Virgin? I never never knew who Round John was. I don't know why we were singing about him. I looked through the Bible. I found no reference to Round John Virgin. And I never knew who Round John was. So when we started singing about Purple Mountain Majesty, I was just excited about it. Came home from school one day, and my dad said... You're not going back to South Side in the morning. We're leaving tomorrow for California. I've got a new job in California. I said California. Are we going through the mountains? He said, "You bet we are." I said, "Dad, are we going to see Purple Mountain Majesty?" He said, "Yes, we are." <laughs> My god, I was wired. The next morning, we were about two hours west of Fort Worth when my dad pulled the car to the side of the road and he said, we're going to California. We're going through the Rockies and we're going to see Purple Mountain Majesty. But if you ask me about it again, you'll not live to see it. (laughs) Finally, one day, my mother said, Mark, look out the windshield. I looked and across at the distant horizon, (laughs) Purple Mountain Majesty, thought my head was going to explode it was purple I could see against the horizon I said we're here we're here how many of you know that from the first moment you can see the Rockies until you actually arrive at anything that looks like a mountain it's days of driving (laughs) finally we started up into the mountains and I said dad Are we going to go to the tip-top? He said, we're going to the tip-top. I said, Daddy, please don't lie to me. Are we going to the tip-tip-top? He said, the tip-tip-top. I couldn't wait. Finally, he pulled into one of those uh, overlooks. You know what I'm talking about? Pulled in, and he said, well, Mark, we're at the top. I got up and looked out, and I said, no. No, you said the tip-tip-top. You promised. He said, this is the tip-tip-top, and I'm going to throw you off. I hurled myself in the backseat and burst into tears because that second grader could not explain to those adults that I had seen Bugs Bunny drive his car to the tip, tip, top of mountains shaped like pyramids, and Bugs's car would rock. I had this idea that we were gonna drive to the tip, tip, top of a purple mountain named Majesty. And we were going to rock. Our car would rock back and forth until my dad said, all right, everybody to the front. We'd step in the front and shoot down the other side and land in California. (laughs) We were in the Rockies. I was looking at a beautiful landscape and I couldn't enjoy it because I was fixated on a cartoon image that wasn't real to start with. Some people can think that their dream has been denied when actually their dream may be in the palm of their hands and they can't see it because they're thinking back remember when god gives you a dream speaks a dream to you he's giving it to you symbolically he's he's sharing with you a concept the moon and the stars and never the sun and the moon and the stars never made obeisance to joseph that dream didn't happen yet that dream happened Sheaves of wheat never made obeisance to Joseph's sheave. That didn't happen, but the dream happened. So you may have the dream and not even recognize it, and it can steal your joy. So here's a young girl who dreams of being a movie star, and she wants to win an Academy Award. She can see herself walking across that platform to to receive an Academy Award. But her senior year in college... She has a misfortune to fall in love with a ministry student and he asks her to marry him and they get married and she puts her dream on the shelf to pursue his dream in his first church at christmas they ask her because she's a theater major would she direct the christmas play and she does and that night everything that can go wrong goes wrong the scenery falls over and knocks the manger over a little plastic baby jesus rolls across the platform But you know what? Those folks in that little country church are not bothered at all. They just love seeing their kids dressed up like shepherds. After the service, after the pageant, they all go down to the fellowship hall for hot chocolate. She's sitting on the front row feeling sorry for herself. She says, well, this is my husband's dream. What about my dream? Where's my Academy Award? When when does my dream come true? just at that moment, a little boy with a towel wrapped around his head, secured by a rubber band and a yardstick in his hand that he's been using as a shepherd's staff and a dandelion in the other hand that looks like he's been chewing on it. And he comes to her and he says, I've never been in a play before. And tonight I was a shepherd. And he gives her that battered dandelion and he says, this is for you. Now she can despise that and feel sorry for herself or she can clutch that flower to her breast and say, at last, my Academy Award. Your dream may not look like what you thought it was going to look like. And you may actually miss the joy of the fulfillment of that dream because you're fixated on a cartoon image that never was real to start with. Let me close with this. You've been very patient. Now I was uh, in India. I met a lady. I went to speak at a boy's home, huge boy's home out in rural Tamil Nadu. And the old lady that ran the boy's home, sweet old lady, and I loved her, but she had a horrible disfiguring scar on this side of her face. It looked like a big thick red hand that laid on her cheek and pulled her eyes and her mouth this way. She told me that when she was a little girl, she had jerked a Coleman lantern off of a high shelf and it exploded on the side of her face. Burned her horribly. A village family with no resources for that kind of surgery. And frankly, looking at her, I'm not sure what the best plastic surgeon in the world could have done to help her. She told me that she kept having a dream, a sleeping dream. Not just a dream of her life, but sleeping. She would dream Holding babies, rocking babies. And she would tell her mother, I I dreamed that dream again last night about having my babies and holding them and rocking them. And her mother would rebuke her. Her mother was a hard woman. She'd lived a hard life and she was hurt by life. And hurt people, hurt people. And her mother would say to her, You're ugly. No man is ever gonna give you a baby. You need to forget that. No man's ever gonna take care of you. You need to get educated, you need to become a professional you got to get out of this village and you got to get that out of your mind. Finally, her mother forbade her. Never mention that dream to me again. The girl did what her mother said. She got through high school with such great grades. She got a scholarship to college. She finished her college education, went to New Delhi for graduate school and finished an MBA with a 4.0 average. She graduated. The night she graduated, she came back to the village to her mother's house. And that night... She dreamed the dream again. The next morning as they were preparing breakfast, she said to her mother, you remember that dream I used to have years ago? I dreamed it last night. I was holding a baby and babies were playing on the floor all around me, my babies. And her mother hurt people, hurt people. Her mother spun around and slapped her and said, I've told you not to ever mention that dream again. That dream is a a deception. It's a lie. Satan is playing a trick on you to, to make you bitter and disappointed. She said, Dr. Ulton, I stood there with my face stinging from that slap and tears streaming down my face. And at that precise moment, the phone rang. She said, I picked the phone up and it was the bishop of the Madras, used to be called Madras in those days, the Madras Archdiocese of the Church of South India. And he said, I understand you finished your MBA. We have a boy's home out in the countryside and I'd like you to go out there with me in the morning and look at it. Now she was hurt and hurt people hurt people. She said, Bishop, I am disgusted that you will call me. I'm disgusted. When I was trying to work my way through college, you didn't help me. When I was working on my, on my MBA, you didn't, you didn't call me. Now I finished everything, and you want me to go be the house mother at your run-down little boy's home? I'm disgusted. He said, Please forgive me. I've miscommunicated. I'm not asking you to be the house mother. I want to hire you as a consultant. I need you to come out, look at it, decide what kind of deferred maintenance it's going to take for the district to fix it. I want you to look at our books, make sure everything is okay. And then I want you to do the search to find our new house mother. She said, oh, Bishop, I apologize. I'd love to have that contract. He said, my driver and I'll pick you up in the morning. They drove out to the boys' home. I've been there, as I said, and there's a circular drive that comes this way And she got out on the building side of the car. And when she got out, she said that building vomited little boys. She said they came out the windows, they came out the doors. And she said they surrounded me and started cheering and jumping up and down. She said a little four-year-old came and threw his arms around my hips and looked up into my face as if he couldn't even see how ugly I was. She said, I looked in his little brown eyes and it was as though he couldn't even see my scar. And he said, are you our new mother? And she said, I turned to tell the bishop I'd like to reconsider about being the house mother. And she said, when I turned, his car was driving out the main gate. (laughs) And she said, I've never seen him again. She said, I learned two things that day, Dr. Utland, that have changed my life. I said, tell them to me. She said, I've learned that when God gives you a dream, he can bring it to pass. By his own resources, in his own timing, in a way that you may never imagine. She said, I am the mother of a multitude. She said, I have rocked, cared for, mothered more boys than any woman in India. She said, I have a thousand sons. And she said, that little four-year-old is now a physician in Madras that treats my little boys for free. She said, I'm the mother of a multitude, and I've never known a man. She said, God can bring your dream to pass. I said, what's the second thing you learned? Oh, she said, the second thing I learned is you can trust God. You cannot trust a bishop. Now listen to me as I close. I don't don't know very many of you. Some I know, and some I know by sight, handshake. I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what you've dealt with. I don't know what you're dealing with right now. What I would like is to pray for you. I'd like to pray over your dream, whether it's you feel it's lost or delayed or deferred or sidetracked. The lack of a dream or the dream that you have that you feel God is bringing to pass, I want to pray with you and encourage you that God is on the job. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes all over the room? Maybe those that are watching elsewhere, streaming this, maybe you want this prayer too. Why don't you just bow your head if you can, where you are. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this precious church, for these people here, those that are elsewhere at home or in a hotel or wherever that are watching this. God, I pray that you will now speak into their hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you say, Dr. Mark, will you please pray for me? I do feel my dream is in a pit or a prison. I I, I can't see the palace from where I stand. Will you pray with me that my dream like Joseph's somehow would come to pass even though it, it feels like it's a million miles away from being fulfilled? Will you pray for me about my deferred and delayed dream? If that's you, then you lift your hand up. And I want to pray for you. Sure, sure. So many, so many. Yes. Heavenly Father, I I put my faith with theirs. And I'm praying, God, that you will bring that dream to pass. Pull it up out of the pit or the prison. God, I'm believing you. And God, I pray that you will also open their eyes. That perhaps the dream is in their very hands. But they can't recognize it free them from childish ideas of what the dream would look like to see the reality of what a great thing you've already done. Lord, I pray that if there's any barrier to the fulfillment of that dream, that you'll move it aside. That if the dream is from you and as it is from you, that you will bring it to pass your own way by your resources in your perfect timing, in the fullness of time. I believe you with them. i keep your heads bowed, take your hands down Others would say, Dr. Mark, will you pray for me? I'm concerned for a child, a loved one, a friend. It's their dream. It's the dream of their life. I just feel like Satan is wrecking it. Will you pray that God will give me faith to keep believing for the dream of God over their lives? If that's you, then you lift your hand up. Yes, sure, sure, sure. Heavenly Father, I... I, Join my faith with theirs. We pray for these loved ones. We pray, God, that whatever is Satan is doing to hinder or destroy these God-given dreams, we believe you, God, that you will bring them to overcoming victory. Lord, that they will be free in the powerful name of Jesus and that that dream which Satan hates would be fulfilled in your perfect timing and would we'll be very careful to give you the glory. Now take your hands down and one more prayer, eyes closed. If you say, Dr. Ulton, would you please pray for me? I'm at the other end of the spectrum. As far as I know, I don't even know what God's dream for my life is. I'm willing to receive a dream from God. I'm not going to decide what's a big dream or a little dream or an important dream or an instant, but I just want to know that God has something, a dream for me. Will you pray that God will reveal it to me? If that's you, then you lift your hands. Yes. Oh, so many, so many, so many. Wow, that's great. I just want to remind you, that's a bold prayer. Because you ask God for a dream, he may just give you one, okay? Heavenly Father, I pray for these people, no matter what their age or station in life. God, we're not going to decide what's a big dream. We're not going to decide what's a good dream. We're going to be open, God. It may be the smallest thing. And, And we'll be very, very careful to receive the dream, bring it through a sleeping dream, bring it through a message in the pulpit, bring it through the power of the Holy Spirit directly to our minds. But when we receive that dream, we will recognize it. That's from the Lord. That's from the Lord. And we'll take that dream to our spirits and believe you, for the fulfillment of that dream. In the mighty name of Jesus, the strong son of God. Amen. Amen and amen. Will you look right up here for a moment before your pastor comes? Look up here. God bless Generations United Church. God bless all of you. And may all your dreams come true. God bless you, everybody.